We're going to start uh, today with a question uh, I want you to answer, uh, but it's going to be on the theme that we've been talking about through Corinthians, about what Paul's work uh, he's, has got cut out for him. It's, the, the question is, you know, what the Holy Spirit desires for his church? And you think you've been around the block. You've uh, had some information about this. So turn to your right or turn to your left to somebody nearby, and I want you to answer this question. What do you think, how would you answer that question? What does the Holy Spirit want for the church and for Justin the Baptist? But how do you think I'm going to answer that question in this sermon? So I'm going to turn your brain on and let both gears work. So I'll give you a little bit of time, 30 seconds or so to answer. What do you think I'm going to talk about today? And it's 1 Corinthians 12 is our context. So turn to each other. What does the Holy Spirit want for this church? For us as a whole. Do, 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 do. It's funny, dear. All right, how about this is a popcorn question? So just pop out your answer. Pop, 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 pop. Anything. What does the Holy Spirit want for the church? What do you think? Go ahead. Growth? Togetherness? Relationship? Loving one another? Yeah, lots, and you could, we could go on and on. I know you're shy introverts won't, until they need time to think. Well, I can't answer that question publicly. I say the wrong thing. Um, but anyway, we're going to uh, look at this uh, to think about what is going to help us accomplish some of those things, Paul is going to give us a vision about what the Holy Spirit desires. And because there are certain things that the, the Corinthians have in mind that's really blocking and interfering with what God has in mind for the church. A problem uh, that is being addressed in this passage in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, as you read this passage with me, um, you'll hear what you have been conditioned to hear because when you hear 1 Corinthians 12, most people think spiritual gifts. This is a passage that um, we use in training when we help people identify what their spiritual gifts are. So listen as I read this, and it's rather lengthy, but I'm going to break it up as I go through the, the sermon. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware ignorant, uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. And therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there for a minute. When, when Paul starts into this, this, this discussion with the Corinthians, He's got some problems, and the problems that he's addressing is the way the Corinthians are bringing in some notions about spirituality from their pagan past. And because of what they're bringing into the church and the Christian life, it really doesn't align with the Holy Spirit. And so the first problem is, is that there's a problem of abuse going on in the church. And so the, the way the, the, the Corinthians 
who are not mature in their thinking, they're adding on to the Christian message a layer of understanding that is not aligned with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, they're thinking that the way they define spirit is not something you're going to read uh, or understand because it was kind of a cult-like, heresy, heretical uh, idea that they had <clears throat> already reached heaven. The eschaton, the end of times has come, and they now have been given a gift and experience and special knowledge that they had already been redeemed and lifted up into heaven and that their idea is that they would speak with tongues of angels. They have now entered into an angelic heavenly realm of spirituality that really marks them as being superior and redeemed in a way that says it's, it's, it's out of focus. It's misaligned with what God wants to do. And therefore, they were abusing the gifts because the gifts were, had a certain purpose, but they were using the gifts for personal experience or personal gain. And the special gift of tongues was the highlighted gift among all the gifts, because they were saying, if I have the gift of tongues, then I'm marked as a spiritual man, a spiritual woman, and I have my spiritual experiences. And therefore, as an abusive, immature, ignorant church, Paul said, I don't want you to be unaware. You need to be informed and educated about what this is all about. But with their notions of the pagan being led by the dumb idols, they were bringing in, this is what spirituality is. It's having a spiritual, esoteric experience of, of the Most High in a way that takes me into a dynamic, ecstatic experience. That's typical. If you go in missions, you'll see a lot of cultures around the world will have ecstatic experiences. Uh, if you go into voodoo cultures, if you go into some of the, the Buddhist cultures, you have you have a way of thinking about entering into a spirituality that has nothing to do with what God's trying to do in the church. And so when you read 1 Corinthians 12, know that you've got to read it with this filter. This is not an educational passage. This is not one to inform you about what the spiritual gifts are. It's not an educational thing that you become... Uh, more aware. What, what Paul wants them to be aware of is not so much the, uh, the information as he wants them to learn that they have to correct their concepts. And so this is a corrective passage. And chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all in this whole idea that Paul is trying to shape and alter their understanding of what they think spiritual uh, growth is all about. And therefore, Paul says, and he starts off not talking about the gifts. He's talking about people. He says, uh, therefore, I make known to you that no one, no one, no person, the individuals that are involved in the church, no one who's going to be a Christian is going to say Jesus, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And this idea that the Holy Spirit is going to have desires put in the hearts of everyone. And if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you will line up with what the Spirit of God is trying to say. The problem is, the Christians were misaligned. They weren't hearing what God is saying. They weren't saying Jesus is Lord. They're saying, I've got this gift of tongues. And what the Lordship of Christ 
uh, does when it comes into manifestation of what that spiritual growth looks like is radically different than what the Corinthians were saying it looks like. So Paul is trying to correct them. And so the problem, the problem that they had is that they were abusing the gifts, the spiritual gifts, for their own personal gain. Because I have the gift of tongues, I may be a little better than you who don't have the gift of tongues, or I have the gift of prophecy, and therefore there was an ordering, a pecking order, or more, I'm more, I have the gift of uh, healing, I have the gift of tongue. So there was this kind of division going on again in the church. Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics of the spiritual gifts this week. I may talk about that next week because it's important. But don't hear the idea that it's about the gifts. The gift is the whole community of Christ, the bride that you're involved in, and therefore you are a gift. The very fact that God has given you his son makes you a giver to give yourself in the son to each one in front of you and behind you. You are the gift. And God is collecting all, not just the functional gifts, but the very gift of the body of Christ. And so as you read this, you hear what Paul is saying as he does in all these churches and discipling people. He, he, he goes back to his fundamental premise that all scripture is inspired by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for rebuke, a reproof, rebuke or correction, and then training in righteousness. And these are the four functions of the scriptures. If you put 25 cents, 25 cents, 25 cents, 25 cents on each of these functions of the word, and you think how we as a church are doing, how well do we do with teaching in the church at large? Is a church informed, educated, smart? Wise, because they know the scriptures. On a scale of 1 to 25, what, how many cents would you say? We're doing about 10 cents, 15 cents, 20 cents. What would you think? How good are we at teaching? Do, 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 do. 5 cents, 10 cents. Okay, put your number there. Add to that number reproof. And what reproof means is that you're learning about this is not right. And so as you go into these four functions... Reproof means what you've been taught you're getting away from. But you have to know what's wrong in order to correct and make it what's right. And so reproof is to reestablish this is the pattern and you're off the path. And so reproof means that you're open to instruction, O Corinthians, that you're open to being discipled, you're open, open to have other people share in your life. But then there's this correction that here's how you change. Here's, here's the things that God really wants for you. And so there's a shifting, a correction, and then there's the training in righteousness. Again, 25 cents for each one of those. How good are we at reproof? How good are we at listening to reproof? How good are we at giving reproof? How good are we at correcting in the sense of this is the way and this is why we should walk this way? And then training. Most churches tend to go teaching training. So whatever number you come up with, 30 cents, 40 cents, 50, you see that the scripture by the Holy Spirit is God-breathed to help us in these four areas. Well, what God's Spirit wants to do here is to correct our understanding of koinonia. We were called into fellowship, 1 Corinthians 1.9, and his fellowship is with his son and with each other. This is the idea 
that you, this notion that you have, that really you are called into friendship. Jesus said to his disciples, I call you my friends. You're not slaves. You're, not just, you're, you're part of the house and you're brought into the feast at the very table. So he says, if you are a friend of God and you walk with God as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with, well, the logic answer would be with God. But it doesn't say that in 1 John 1, 7. It says we have fellowship with one another. There's something about the Spirit that when he comes in and fills you, you can't be self-contained. You break out of your selfishness and you move out into relationships. This is the fellowship. This is the koinonia. The Holy Spirit is realizing, actualizing this desire to have a redeemed and a restored community. As the church, we stand in opposition to everything that is ungodly, unworldly. We are unworldly. We are separate because God is restoring and reversing the curse that we receive from Adam, but we get the blessings in Christ. And so the church is a place of restoration. It's a place of, of redemption. And it's a redemptive community that grows in learning. And the Holy Spirit knows that 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 sense I talked about last week about Saobona, and you say Shikona. Saobona is the greeting in the Natal tribe in Africa. I see you. I am seen. And being seen and being known is the very core of the relationship in the church that we know that we are being known. But sometimes we don't want other people to know. And sometimes we don't want to be known. So there's always this distance and this resistance in terms of getting close, there's this withdrawal and isolation. And that's the thing that God says, the first thing in Genesis, that God says, this isn't good. It is not good for a man to be alone. And therefore, you have this pattern and predisposition, a deep desire to be connected, to be engaged, to be involved, sharing the fellowship with each other's lives as they were singing. But on the scale of those four things, our understanding of relationships in the church, just like the Corinthians, need to be transformed a bit. Some people have the habit, as Hebrews would say, let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near, because sin is at the door. Sin will be conditioning your heart and attitude. But he says, let us not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. So, so during COVID, some people have lost that habit. So this is a real important challenge to us, to learn how to be the church, connected as a church in a community of fellowship that understands why we come together in the first place. In the, um, in the Kairos prison ministry, and you've heard me say this before, there's a little phrase, a takeaway that you've heard before. It's about listen, listen, love, love. Listen, listen, love, love. Go ahead and say that with me. Listen, listen, love, love. Okay, now you can go home. If you do these two things, you're, you'll be good. Did you say that in your answer to, he's going to talk about that? And yet, listening to Christ, listening to the invitation, listening to the idea that God wants to disciple you, walk with you, show you who he is, tell you his kindness and the goodness that Christ comes, whether he's teaching in Proverbs or he's teaching 
in parables. He's teaching wisdom. He's teaching you, developing you, correcting, reproving, correcting, and training you to be like him. What a wonderful privilege that is to hear the voice of God and say, I'm with you. What we don't understand is that what unites us in Christ is greater than what separates us in Christ. In the Corinthians, they were using the gifts to separate and compare and compete. But we have more in common in Christ for all who receive Christ. You receive Christ. And everyone who receives Christ becomes a son and daughter. You become the family of God. And everything that I have is yours and everything that you have is mine. And we are one in Christ. And that's that whole fellowship, that whole dimension, that we are a unique people. But we are unaware of how unique we are. Therefore, what unites us is the fact that we come to Christ for one reason. We are sinful. Paul would say, I'm a wretched man. There's something wrong inside. Something's missing inside. What I need, I don't have. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me and delivers everyone who receives Christ through, through uh, Christ our Lord. There's deliverance. So then I myself, in my mind, I am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature, I am a slave to the law of sin. And you come to Christ because, because you don't have it together. Because we are fallen from that glory. And because of that fall, you step towards the cross to say, I am a needy, desperate person. I can't do it on my own. As Jesus would say, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And therefore, this connection back to Christ. We come to Christ because we're sinful people. We need redemption. We need forgiveness. We need, we need hope. We need, we need everything that God is for us. We kind of turn away and go our own way. But you come to Christ because of sin, and some churches you step in the church and you can never sin again. So people take the sin underground. <laughs> And they never grow. Therefore, what, what Paul would want us to understand is that in Christ, in the fellowship, there is now no condemnation whatsoever for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, here we go again, gives life. Not rules. Gives life. And <clears throat> and he said that life sets us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. I changed that a little bit, if I could do that, to, to put the spin of the church into it. Therefore, there is now new companionship. New companions who share this compassion in Christ Jesus. The person next to you is your companion, a traveling partner. Because through Christ Jesus, they have the love of the Spirit in them. And he gives life to the person next to you to forgive and to restore. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by, God did by sending his own Son and the Spirit to bring about a community that brings grace. There's the shift. And that, that, that whole idea that there's a restored humanity by the grace of Christ 
that connects us and allows us to be free to share honestly, to grow and change. So God sent his way to make, to make a way for us to be adopted and to be adopted as sons and daughters, to call God Father. And that's why Jesus said, he said, our Father. We are a collection of people that make up the bride of Christ. You are beloved and you be, are beloved if that's the word. But he makes us his family. We call this family the church. We're not silo Christians. We're not Christians who got it all together and independent of one another. It's me and Jesus. My Jesus, my Savior, me, 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 him, him, him. That's all I need. If I just, no, if you do that, you've misunderstood the whole purpose of the church. We're not to be Marlboro Christians. A lone ranger, lone wolves. We need each other because God says, that's the way I want you to have the very experience of the Spirit. It's not just this gift you have privately. It's not a personal faith or a, 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 a personal experience. If you are going to align yourself with the Spirit, you're going to be connected with every other sinner that's in the process of enjoying grace, learning to grow in in grace, learning how to share compassion and forgiveness, knowing what the struggles are, but you listen, listen, and you love love with three ears. One, the ear to the other person, the ear to yourself, but one is the ear to the Spirit of God. And when you bring that together, there is a community that's unlike any other community. And that's what we do here at Chesterland Baptist. We are a growing, learning community. Can you listen? Well, can you love? Well, can you listen without having to say uh, to yourself what, to, what's uh, to impose yourself on another story, without having to teach them, without judging them, without trying to fix them, without uh, relating a similar experience? Just listen. So you have to say, that's what the church is. So you answer the question, what is the church? The Corinthians didn't have that answer together because they were still developing it. But the church is a new kind of people. It's a redeemed community, a covenant people, the people of the Holy Spirit. The Corinthians didn't understand that. But this new commandment, we are a new commandment people that a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. So self gets out of the way, and you learn how to love and listen like Christ. What a challenge. On a scale of 1 to 10, how well are you doing? And that's the, that's the body of Christ that we're growing into. So no one is excluded. No one is listening to the Spirit of God who says, Jesus is my Lord is exempt from this commandment to be reflective of that love of Christ. And yet the church, the church and community, needs to understand you are the wonderful bride, the beautiful bride. Have Alice make a dress for us, right? The, the wedding dress. You are all adored by the Lord. And therefore to understand I can't be a Marlboro Christian. I can't be a Lone Ranger. I am part of a group of people, not only here in Chesterton, but of a worldwide movement. 
And the Christian community then is to play a part in every Christian's life. The Christian community is to play a part in every person's life so that they can grow up in Christ and have that maturity that Mark read about. God wants us to live in community. God wants us to have our needs uh, met in community. God wants us to live in harmony and unity. The Spirit of God doesn't want the division that the Corinthians were enjoying by quenching the Spirit, but the Spirit wants to quench the selfishness and be free of personal agendas and to be lovers and servants of all people. And that's what Jesus did. He loved those 12 men to the end. He loved the people who came around him. Sinner, uh, sinners and people who were following him. He loved everyone without regard. He wanted to be touching everyone because he was a lover like you. He wants you to be a lover. So no more Lone Ranger, no more independent Christian, no more arrogant competition. There's an interest in listening to others. And therefore, as Garland would read, encourage one another. This is what the Corinthians didn't do. They were encouraging only those, but not one another. They were not building each other up. The Thessalonians were, the Philippians were, the Corinthians weren't. And therefore, that two are better than one, uh, if you have the same gift or the same doctrine or denomination or the same, I like Apollos or I like Peter, this tribal, no, no, no. It's not this separate division going on in the church. He wants everyone to have the same measure of grace and warmth and affirmation. Therefore, they had that wrong focus. That wrong focus on spiritual gifts led them away from the very purpose and the mission of the church. Now, here's what Paul would say in verses 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. A variety of ministries, but the same Lord. And the variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. Well, the Corinthians weren't into the common good. They were interested in the private good. And therefore, they were interested only in what they were interested in, and they were short-circuiting the whole growth in the body. So what, what Paul was trying to say, listen, O Corinthians, listen, O Chesterlanders, we have the same calling. We have the same gospel. We have the same confession of the faith, the same spirit, the same Lord, the same need, the same purpose, the same body, the same concern, the same kingdom. We have the same spirit, for Pete's sake. There's more that we have in common than we have in disagreement. So what are you focusing on, Corinthians? It's not the same as a pagan community. Not the same as having the same background. It's not the same function in the body. It is not the same manifestation and not the same ministry. God's spirit is much bigger than all of us put together. And therefore, you need to magnify the Lord and magnify your understanding of the bride of Christ because it is beautifully, wonderfully, internationally, eternally great. And therefore, to think that what God is doing in all of us 
is more than just having a collection of individuals. Yesterday I went to the Heritage, uh, what's it, uh, not festival, but a sale. And you see all these things collected over there. It's a collection of things. It was a crowd of people, but it was a temporal event. They came together, it was gone. This is not the church. We're not just a collection of individuals coming together and having an event, but it's a collection not just of knickknacks and buttons and watches and flags and leftovers, and, but the experience of the Corinthians was not just a collection of individuals, it was a calling of a community. And that's what I want you to hear. It's a real question that Paul would say, I want you to understand about the gifts, but more important than the gifts, I want you to understand that what you have in your calling is this very same calling that the person next to you has. You know Christ, you know the Spirit, and that connects you. And if that connection is there, then you can encourage one another as you learn how to live. We are people of the Spirit, and that Spirit has a mission, and the missional community that makes a difference in the world is not just sitting in a classroom or sitting in the living room discussing a Bible book or, or, or a video. It's a missional community that one values, understands that God is doing something so radically unique that we are moving towards maturity. We're moving into a movement and we're moving into missions. Therefore, you're no little people. We've got a powerful God. And so the paradigms that, you, that I have, the picture that I have for us as a church, you either have this image, this image of the church that we are all like bowlers. You go to the bowling alley and you go up and you throw your, bowl down, throw your bowling ball down there and it goes into the gutter or make a strike or whatever. But everybody's watching you. It's an individual performance. That person goes, sits down, next person comes up. And so we're kind of like bowlers. Throw the ball down, throw the ball down, throw the ball down. As opposed to a football team, like West Giaga. I don't know if you can see this. Uh, This didn't come up, I don't think it did. But here's what the church is to be like. It's like this prism. Christ comes in and there's differences that are beautiful. And so when Christ comes in, when the Holy Spirit compels us with that vision that there's a wonderful collection and reflection of people who have the shared calling. Therefore, he desires us to be the church. Um, Walking billboards of grace. Walking billboards of forgiveness. Walking billboards of learning how to grow in grace as people. This is his vision. He desires us to, be, to feel safe, to feel secure, out of danger, to be accepted, to be welcomed and affirmed. Well, yesterday at Kairos, there was a, a brother that I don't really know very well. Uh, he's a Catholic fellow, and uh, he's an engineer, and he came, and I asked him to speak yesterday to talk about the love of God. And I was uh, not prepared for what he said. I was sitting where you were, Terry, and he said, I just want to thank you, Jerry. He turned to me and said, I want to thank you, Jerry, because what you've done here to serve us and, and at part of the church, to host the church, they love it here. 
He says, but you're serving us, and I'm doing things in the corner. It's not about me. It's not about, it's not about, about what I get out of it. It's about making the church grow and move. And he says, I just really enjoy working with you. When was the last time somebody said to you, I really enjoy working with you, affirming you. Your gift, it means so much to me. And as I heard that, I thought, you know, it just caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it. You never expect those kind of affirmations, but that's what the church does. When was the last time it was said to you? When was the last time you said it to somebody else? This is what the church does in the corner that you never see. And therefore, this Holy Spirit wants to satisfy our deepest relational desires for connection, for engagement, to share that life and to share that fellowship. The Holy Spirit has a vision, and he desires our openness, our responsiveness, our obedience, our submission, but a mutual understanding that I need you. I can't make it without you. And the Spirit of God has called me to say certain things. Oh, and Pat got done with the phone call this morning. She was frazzled, as you can imagine, standing in the rain, dog in the car, and Bob <laughs> walking around. I said, Pat, I just love you. I said, God has got you covered, because we had her covered. And you could just hear her, ah, ah. And that was kind of a fun thing to do. Well, the Lord did that. We become people of refuge, people of real affirmation, people of hope. And boy, we need that assurance. We need that kind of friendship. We need that kind of redeeming quality. And that's why, that's why Paul is saying, this, O Corinthians, is not what God wants. So don't assemble yourselves together when you come to a communion, and don't do it with the gifts this way, because if you do, you're damaging the gospel. Well, how do you change that? How do you become that church alive? That's 1 Corinthians 13, as Paul is going to move us into what love is all about. And so as he's sandwiching this correction with wrong focus, love focus, and then he goes back into the correction in righteousness, there's 13. 12, 13, and 14. Those three have to be read together. So church, I want you to arise and shine. That's why we chose the Getty song for you. As you hear them sing, as you sing with them, make this a prayer to God that we as a community called by the Spirit of God to reflect that kindness, that koinonia, that grace, that's your calling, church. I'm your brother. You're my sister. You're my brother. We are his bride together.